0: And let's stand as we read from Romans chapter 5. And um, last week we, we focused on verse 12. And now it comes in parentheses here. Verse 13 through 17. So let's pick up verse 12 for context and read through 17. It says this. Therefore just as through one man sin entered the world. And death through sin. And thus death spread to all men. Because all sinned. For until the law sin was in the world. World, But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more by the grace of God... And the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reign through the one much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. May God bless His word. Be seated in God's house tonight. I uh, was in a discussion with someone this week who does not believe in the literal interpretation of Genesis chapter 1 and 2. They believe in a metaphorical interpretation and I said well here's the whole problem now that may okay be okay for you but if you don't believe that God dealt with one man and one woman That's fine. But the problem is, Apostle Paul, who wrote more books than any other author in the New Testament, upon which we find our doctrine of salvation, Apostle Paul believed in a literal interpretation of Genesis. So if we throw out the interpretation of Genesis, then we're simultaneously disqualifying Apostle Paul's knowledge when it comes to the Scriptures. And he's also the same one that says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 I guess if these other verses are metaphorical Then Romans 3.23 might as well be metaphorical And the cross is just metaphorical You see? So we're going to talk again about this one man Through whom sin came and we begin in verse 13. And what he's going to do in this parenthesis, if you're using King James, New King James, you're going to see a parenthesis. Some other translations don't include that because it's explaining the point of the previous verse. And he begins by telling us, To be sure, or therefore, sin was in the world before the law. Adam's trespass resulted in sin coming to all. So what he's going to say is, listen, the problem happened with Adam, but now we are all tangled up in that problem. See, some people see Adam as a far off distant picture of what once was. But let me tell you, my friend, Adam is a picture of me and you. Me and you are all tangled up in the fall. We are all tangled up in the garden. Man, it's like 85 bumper-to-bumper traffic. One guy skids out of control in the snow or the ice. Everyone behind them is going to be tangled up and affected by one's offense. Man, when I was taking Pastor Enoch to the, the airport, we had that big snow. And here's, you know, crazy four-wheel drive preacher riding with a Haitian to the airport. No one on the road. And man, I mean, there's there's, you know... Just people flying, 85 literally covered, you can't even see the lanes. People flying in BMWs. Let me tell you, it's the ultimate driving machine, not the ultimate four-wheeling machine. And they just come, I mean, I'm, you know, my truck, four-wheel drive, big tires, I'm riding cozy about 30 on 85. And 50 miles an hour in your BMW. They're all over the place, man. What point does that matter? Through one person's offense, somebody else is going to be affected. And we're affected through one person's offense. Man, I talk to Billy every day on the phone. Every day. And he says, man, these people out here are crazy. Because Billy's a truck driver. And that's, that, that's the truth. People are affected through other people's offense. And that's the case for Adam. Sin was in the world before the law was given. So what he's going to say is sin just did not appear once Moses came. Sin did not just, just come into being once the law came into being. Sin was always in place from the time of Adam to us. Sin has been in effect. Sin, and he says in verse 13 that sin is not charged against anyone account when there is no law. Now let me tell you something. This does not mean they are off the hook. If I was a liberal then I would say, sin is not imputed when there is no law. i will take that verse out of context and I would say, well, if someone's never heard the gospel in Africa, they're not going to be held accountable. Because sin is not imputed where there is no law. See, that's the, that's the danger of taking the text out of context. But that's not what he's saying. You see, it does not mean they get a free pass to heaven even if the law is not there. I'm going to give you an illustration. This Saturday, I've been heaping up a a pile of brush for about six months in my backyard. And in this pile of brush may or may not have been some cabinets, some plywood, some treated lumber, a lot of wooden items that needed to be burnt. So it's been accumulated in my backyard, and for six months we looked out my bedroom window, and there's this big old pile of stuff in my backyard. So I just, you know, was ready. The weather's getting kind of nice, it wasn't too cold. It's, I was like, we're going to have a bonfire for tonight. So, bonfire. So I got the gasoline and I went up to this bonfire. Man, I'm, you know, I'm going to get ready to let this thing light up. Glug, 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 gl this ain't the first time I've done this, folks. 20 foot, and then I stand way back, and I put the butane lighter on it like this. That thing starts going. Boom! I'm telling you what, Tyler was on the other side of the house. She came running around. She thought the atom bomb just dropped. I mean, this thing took off. It was awesome, okay? I was like, wow. Wow. All right, I'm going to get to a point here in a second. So this thing's burning and I'm happy. I'm like, my brush pile's going to be gone. I'm happy and everything. What in 12 minutes? Sheriff department pulled up in my front yard. I walk out front. What you burning? Big old pile of sticks. Since when's that against the law? He said, well, your pile of sticks is so big, your neighbors thought your house was on fire. my neighbors called the fire department said my house was on fire man it wasn't four more minutes the captain of the fire department pulled up four volunteer firefighters pulled up and I could hear the silence coming from Midland Volunteer they start canceling them All right. so here's the whole thing I said I'm just burning some sticks listen it was after 4 p.m. I'm outside the city limits. I'm good to go. He says, well, I need to come look at what you're burning. All right, come on. We walk back there. Now, this is the honest truth. I thought you could burn wood. No. You can't burn it unless it's grown on your property. Now I know. Okay? Now I know. Well, he gets, he gets to look and he says man, you can't be burning these cabinets and stuff, these old cabinets and things that was junk in my garage. You can't be burning this. I said, what? Nope, had to be grown in your property. He said, well, at least you ain't got no tires in there. And literally, I was like, this is the first time I ain't never had a tire in the bonfire. Because a tire will get some brush to burn, you know what I'm saying? It'll burn some brush now. And he says, well, you're going to have to put that out. I will sit there talking to him. I say, I'm talking to the captain of the fire department. I say, well, you know, if I, if I burn this out and uh, water it down, then I'm going to have a big old rubble of half-burnt wood and somebody's going to have to drive up my yard and mess my yard. On and on. I talked to him for seven minutes and it burned down pretty good by that time. <laughs> and he said, well, we'll let you let it burn down, but this is your warning. You know, this is your warning. Matter of fact, the forestry service was on their way. He said, I'm not going to give you a citation, but the forestry service is on their way, and they will give you a citation. And I kind of looked at him. He said, I'm going to cancel the forestry service. He says, thank you very much, sir. All right. So here's the point. Even though I didn't know the law does not mean I'm not responsible for the law. Even though the law had not yet came, <laughs> which they eventually came. You see what I'm saying? The law came. This is a great illustration. They showed up in my front yard. I was still responsible for it. Now, now, the law, the sheriff wasn't going to write me a citation. But he said the forestry service Will. You see, in my illustration, the forestry service represents death. Because even though I was not subject under the law, the law was going to be nice to me, the forestry service wasn't going to be nice to me. They were going to come, and thankfully he canceled the forestry service. My friend, oh, this is good. The forestry service was headed our way, until Jesus stepped in front of the law and canceled death. Amen. He said, I'm going to call them off. Man. You see, death became powerful <laughs> once I realized the law. The forestry service gained power. I was ne- I've never been worried about the forestry service. But once I realized the trespass... Then it became powerful. See, what has happened is when the law came, the trespass increased. I magnified the trespass more because now I saw how serious it was. I'm speaking in a metaphorical manner here i thank the Lord that He can use brush fires in a forestry service to illustrate scriptural truths. Now, I want to look at a few verses down, Romans 5.20. He says, Moreover, that when the law entered, the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded so much more. You see, once the law came, the law let me know what was coming next. Once the law entered, the offense magnified. So here's what Paul is saying. He says, the offenses have always been going on. The law simply magnified the offense. So that's what happened. When death, I'm sorry, sin has always been in effect from, from Adam to Moses. But Moses magnified the sin and the trespass, Paul has already illustrated previously that those who live without the law will also die without the law. We preached that about a maybe even a year ago Romans two twelve when it says that those who turn there, if you will, romans two twelve just a few chapters over. For as many have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do these things in the law, they are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness. Now we we said don't take the parenthesis as the emphasis because it's illustrating what was said in 12. For as many have sinned without law will perish without law. This means they are still responsible for the offense. The Buddhist in India who's never heard the gospel preached is still responsible for the offense because Romans chapter 2 went on to tell us that when they do the things in the law, it's showing that they're a law to themselves. For example, having a sense of morality, or having a sense of law, or having a sense of value. All these operations that all humanity does shows that there is an objective moral law in existence. And these, doing those things, are a law to themselves who will perish without the law. This should motivate us to evangelism. This should motivate us to the knowledge that those who are perishing without the law need to hear the hope that is contained in grace. Amen? You see, too many people have interpreted this and says, well, I guess the, the Buddhists in India, they're going to do the things in the law and then God's going to give them, you know, a... Get out of hell free card That's not how it works my friend Because the Bible says There is one name under heaven and earth By which men must be saved And it's not Buddha It's not Muhammad It is Jesus Christ So if Jesus Christ is not proclaimed Among the nations There is no hope this has been the historical motivation for evangelism and maybe that's why liberalism has crept into the seminaries and now we're comfortable with spending most of our assets here in America and not training workers to go out into the laborer fields. I heard that some people were confused two Sundays ago as I was talking about, have you heard the call of missions? And they thought maybe they wanted, uh, uh, I wanted people to give to missions instead of to the Family Life Center. That, that's a false dichotomy, folks. What I was trying to attach was that the Family Life Center was for the ultimate purpose of training up missionaries to go into the world. That we're not building a place for us. We're building a place for the nation so that people can be raised up and sent out. I, you know, I told the church two weeks ago, I'd love to one day see a university here where we train missionaries and pastors. And, matter of fact, I had one of the students in the student ministry. They said, Pastor Jesse, when this church builds a university, I'll be, I'll be the first student. I was like, Praise the Lord. Because that's our purpose equipping families and individuals to fulfill the great commission in their community and throughout the world. Another brief testimony, we had our Haiti mission trip meeting, and there are 17 people ready to go down to Haiti in June to help finish the construction on Friendship Baptist of Haiti. Equipping family, amen. It's all for the purpose of God's glory among the nations. And when God's gospel is preached effectually in the house of God, it will go out of the house of God by nature. That's what grace will do. Grace will motivate us to go out. Romans 5.13. The purpose of this statement is to illustrate that all people were affected by the fall. Because sin was in the world, but the law simply magnified it. And he goes on to say in Romans 5.14. He says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. Okay, he says, listen, even though the law was not in effect, sin existed, but the law was not yet magnified. Nevertheless, he said, don't even worry about that, death was in effect. He said, even though they didn't have the law, they all had death. All were subject unto death. It was the universal equalizer of all humanity even those who didn't even know that they broke a command, like Adam, that's the purpose, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. Adam knew that he had broken a command. It says, even those that don't know that they were breaking a command, were still subject to the reality of death. You may have heard this story before. One time, Tyler and I were driving to Branson, Missouri. And, uh, She drove all 18 hours. I just held the steering wheel. See, y'all probably heard this a year ago, but you forgot it so I can use it again. Ain't that the truth? I finally told her, I said, I ain't driving no more. I said, you gonna drive. You gonna tell me how to do it? You drive. Well, after 30 minutes, I said, stop, I gotta drive again. (laughs) <laughs> but on the way there <laughs> on the way there I got pulled over I didn't know that there was oh oh, let me get the story Okay, I got pulled over because I was speeding I knew that but when I was speeding I wanted to pull over onto the left lane because I seen on them shows on cops where people get smashed down the highway I was like, I'm going to pull over on the left shoulder and the, par- the cop can come to the left side so he's out of the danger zone. I'm like, the cop will think I'm Mr. Nice Guy. All these stories about me and the law, don't get any ideas. These are just This is regular life. So I pull over on the left shoulder. I say, yes, officer, can I help you? He says, I'm going to write you two citations, one for speed, and secondly, it's illegal to pull over on the left shoulder in whatever state I was in. I said, well, I didn't know it was illegal to pull on the left shoulder. He said, that's not my fault. All right, you see, I was subject to the effects regardless of my awareness of the law. Same illustration with the Forestry Service. I was subject to the result regardless of my knowledge of the law. Now, fortunately, in the Forestry Service story, I didn't get a citation. In this story, I did get a citation, okay, okay? But I was subject to it even though I wasn't aware of the laws of that state. And so I realized that that was the great equalizer. And the the same thing is true for death. It doesn't matter. Mother Teresa or or St. Francis of Assisi or, or the monks right now in China. All are subject to death. Death is the great equalizer of humanity. A majority of humanity deals with what is somehow related to death in some form or another every day when talking about evils in the world. I want you to consider the following evils that we deal with war, and war primarily is related to death. Secondly, abortion is related to death, murder related to death, suicide, gang violence, worldwide poverty is related to death. AIDS is related to death. Tsunamis, hurricanes, car accidents, gun control, all these things is related to death. And the most wealthy business on the planet, the business of healthcare, literally makes billions of dollars a year by postponing death. Much of the world is concerned with death. And the atheists can talk about the origins of life as much as they want to, but the real problem is not how life originated, but how death will be finalized. That's the real problem of the atheist. And see, the reason they spend so much time talking about the origin of life is because if they can disprove God in the origin, then they don't have to worry about God in the finality. You see, everything about the origin is because they're really worried about the ending point. They're worried about the equalizer. And they spend all their time focusing on the origin of life. What about the origin of death? That's the big problem. Death reigned. And I like how Apostle Paul uses the past tense of the word reigned here in verse 514. He said, death reigned. Reigned from the time of Adam to Moses But now he proclaims that it doesn't rain anymore because of Christ Can I hear some help this evening? Death doesn't rain anymore I heard about a minister who passed away And someone said they were mourning the loss of that, por- of that person Well my question is who lost something? You see, if a Christian passes on to eternity, then they have gained everything through death. And how selfish of us that we should make their gain our loss. Here's the good news. It ain't about me. It ain't about you. It's about the glory of Jesus who they're enjoying forever and ever and ever. And every Christian funeral should point us to the glory of Jesus, not the loss of ourself. Why should We make this world about us when in reality it's all about Christ. My friend, we haven't lost anything. We have experienced the translation of the material into the immaterial. And the person that we loved is now fully healed. You see, whenever I went to Haiti, I took my American dollars and it was translated into something that could be used in that country. And see, when we pass from this life to the next, you and I must be translated into something that will work. In the city of heaven And that's the immortal, glorious, resurrected body of the believer We shall not worry about the passing of a saint into glory This is why the Christian funeral is a celebration Because death once reigned Now it's not a big deal anymore As Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, the verse Pastor Robert's preaching to the teenagers this evening. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. My friend, if God takes me home tonight, I'll have gained everything. And I hate to tell you, but I'm not going to be thinking about y'all anymore. I'm not going to be worried about y'all. I think you can take care of yourself because I'm going to be with Jesus and I'm going to be in glory. That's the hope of every believer. We go to Romans 5.15 that the free gift is not like the offense. Okay, here's what he's saying. He's saying even though the offense came through one man, the free gift also came through one man, but the gift cannot be compared to the trespass. And we're going to talk about this. You see, it says, if many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus, overflow? To many, Your translation probably says abound to many. I realized today that this is probably the verse Mr. John Bunyan was talking about. He wrote a famous work called Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. One of the best theological works in the past 400 years. He's probably talking about Romans 5.15 here. Here's why we can't compare the gift to the trespass. First it's because this. We deserve the condemnation that came from the garden. But we don't deserve the grace that comes from Calvary. You see, we can't compare the the trespass to the gift because what happened to Adam is the same thing that happens to us. We deserve that condemnation. But what happened to Christ is what we don't deserve. It can't even compare, my friend. Christ got what he did not deserve so that you and I could get what we don't deserve. Adam got what he deserved. And death is what we deserve. That's the trespass. Christ got what he did not deserve, the cross, so that we could receive what we do not deserve, salvation and righteousness. This, the, what happened in the garden is the opposite of what happened on Calvary. In the garden we get what we do deserve. On Calvary we get what we don't deserve. You can't compare the gift and the trespass. When it speaks of the grace of the one man Jesus I want you to know that it's speaking of the unmerited act of the cross. If you've heard me talk about grace you know that grace is unmerited favor. Well here's what I want you to understand about the cross. Was that the cross was an unmerited action towards Christ. The cross was almost like an opposite grace. It is Christ receiving what he did not deserve. Now it looks like he got a bad thing. It looks like the cross was a bad thing. But this is why Paul says what happened through the grace of one man. The cross was actually grace because it was a good thing for us. It was actually grace towards us. The wrath that he did not deserve was on behalf of us to receive something we don't deserve. So the whole package is founded in grace. The whole work of the cross is a work of grace. Uh, We always talk that Christ died for our sin, but actually He died for His grace. (laughs) He died because grace was accomplishing salvation. That's what it was for. It paid for our sin, but it accomplished His grace. You see, God's grace that gave it to Him, the wrath of God was for us on our behalf that is our key wrath was not given on behalf of Jesus rather it was given on behalf of you and me wrath was given on our account on our behalf it was something which became grace for us because it was deflected to Christ that action of wrath Became an action of grace. It was unmerited because we deserved it. But he stepped in the way. That was grace. And so it was grace that put Christ on the cross. And it results in grace being offered to us. That's what the text says. It says. How much more did God's grace. And the gift that came by grace. Overflow to many. Grace Overflows to grace in our life because the grace came to one man, it overflowed to many men. That's unlike the trespass. The trespass came through one, but then also came through many. But on the gift, it came through one, but then spilled over and multiplied. To many, because we never had the righteousness that Christ had. We did have the nature of Adam, but not the righteousness of Christ. So, grace put Christ on the cross, meaning that the whole gospel is that you and I don't deserve it. The whole of the gospel, Brother Chris, is that we don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve heaven, we don't deserve Christianity, we don't deserve righteousness, you don't deserve to be a Sunday school teacher, you don't even deserve to pray, but God lets you because of His grace. Everything is about grace. It's amazing how some people would turn the gospel into something that you do deserve. Grace is what we don't deserve but yet, they want to turn the gospel into something that we do deserve. Here's the deal when their preaching surrounds the holiness of man, they are trying to merit you into salvation. But the gospel is not about the holiness of man. It's about the holiness of an almighty God. And my friend, it is the contemplation of the holiness of God that leads us into a lifestyle of righteousness and holiness. You and I will not become holy by trying to focus on our own works. The vine doesn't become fruitful by focusing on the fruit. It just stays attached to the vine. And it rests in that nature that the vine is. And that's what produces fruit. The vine doesn't have to look at fruit. It simply attaches itself to the vine. This is Meditating upon the holiness and righteousness of God. His character. His work on the cross. Where'd my water go? There it is. My friend. That contemplation of the holiness of God will lead us into a lifestyle of righteousness. Do you know that a type of person. Do you know the type of person that wants to hear self-righteous preaching? It's a self-righteous person. If you read the teachings of Jesus throughout the Gospels, the teachings of Jesus were always the opposite of self-righteousness. You see, the Pharisees who were self-righteous because of their own works... Always disagreed with Jesus' message of grace Because Jesus preached the scandalous grace That even the Pharisee The bright and shiny uh, jewel-clad Showbread-eating, candle-lighting, incense-burning Pharisees Still didn't deserve the gospel And they thought That just ain't right You're going to tell the ones who study in the law, who uphold the law, who they don't, they don't let the, the poor people pick breadcrumbs on the Sabbath, because that's what the law says. You mean we can't go to heaven? Jesus said, no. Because your righteousness is based in yourself, and your righteous works are like filthy rags to God. He preached a scandalous grace. Jesus taught a scandalous grace that showed that no man could ever merit salvation. And that's what made the Pharisees mad. They wanted to be good enough. They wanted to hear Jesus say, Hey, you're so good that you're going to make it into heaven. That's what they wanted to hear. Jesus never said it. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the hungry. Blessed are the the weak. Blessed are those who are exactly opposite of you self-righteous brood of vipers. (laughs) the whole Beatitudes was basically cutting down the tree of self-righteousness. Saying, you're not blessed. You're bloated up with pride. You're full of self. You're not blessed. That's what he was telling the Pharisees. So that's why when you hear a preacher talk about sin, and it makes you feel good, is because you start comparing yourself to the guy next to you. And when you hear preaching on sin, it makes you compare yourself on a worldly level instead of a godly level. Oh, let me tell you what, I can preach for the next 12 weeks on Hellfire Brimstone. People would love it. That's right, preacher, that you, you need to tell them right now. Let me say, if you're saying that, you might be in danger of it. You see? Because the moment we get excited about hellfire preaching Is the moment we think we're so sure of our own self That we're exempt But see, our confidence don't rest in hellfire preaching It rests in cross preaching Grace preaching Finished work preaching You see, Romans 5.15 says The gift cannot be compared to the trespass We cannot make the gospel about the work of Adam Because the work of Adam was opposite of the work of Christ. The work of Adam, sin, is about the garden. But the gospel is about the cross. The finished work of Christ. And here's what some of you have heard when you've heard me preach. Is that you've heard me say that we are made righteous through Christ. And your flesh has interpreted that to mean that you can do whatever you want and still be righteous. I have not said that. I have not said that grace gives us the freedom to do whatever we want. Grace gives us the freedom to properly live a life of holiness, to properly live a life of righteousness, because it removes the chains of the law. But I'm going to tell you why some people have heard that, is because your flesh has reinterpreted the gospel according to your self-righteous desires. You see, there are three elements to communication. There's one, the filter through which I preach. Secondly, the medium which is preached. And thirdly, the filter through which you hear. Now, it is my responsibility to do as best as I can to make sure the filter through which I preach is free from my own agenda. This is one reason why I preach verse by verse through the Bible, because the moment you let a preacher preach whatever scripture he wants to, he's going to implement his own agenda. If the people aren't being godly, guess what, Pastor Enoch, I'm going to go to the Old Testament and I'm going to preach Deuteronomy and Leviticus and uh, Moses, and I'm going to inspire them to holiness by legalistic preaching, and it'll never work, because I'm going to preach my own agenda. And therefore, I'm, I'm messing with my filter of communication. I can't impose my agenda on the scripture. The best thing I can do for the deconstruction of my filter is to make sure my preaching is not systematized because of my own agenda, which is why we stick to straight through the gospels, straight through the letters. Alright, secondly, I'm responsible for the content of the message. And one day, I'll stand before God and I will be held responsible for preaching the truth. It says that teachers are subject to a higher responsibility. I'm responsible to make sure I'm preaching the text. But lastly, here's the thing. You are responsible for the filter in which you hear the scripture. And I'm going to tell you how this is possible. If your filter is contaminated by the flesh, then you are going to hear the gospel of the Spirit according to the flesh. If we're listening to Van Halen and Megadeth on the way to church, and listen, I like to put music on, but it's not gonna dominate my filter, okay? But if we're dominating our filter with, uh, you know, uh, Oprah and, and, and Dr. Phil and, and, and The Bachelor and whatever, whatever crud we fill ourselves with. We're going to dominate our filter according to the flesh. I'm going to go ahead and tell you The Bachelor is a horrible show. I'll just put that out there. It's entertaining, but so is uh, Jerry Springer. Doesn't mean we should watch it. All right. (laughs) The past few weeks, for example, I've been preaching about giving to the building. And numbers always decline during the giving campaign. Have you noticed this? Look around you right now. In the middle of a giving campaign, there's plenty of pews empty because people know they're going to have to start doing something for the church. And whenever that happens, numbers decline. Every church I've ever seen building campaign, shoo, Because what happens is, the people who are uh, contaminated with the flesh, what they hear is, all the preacher wants to do is talk about money. Which is why I said last Sunday, actually I'm not talking about money, I'm talking about worship. And worship is every resource we have. It's our resource of time, it's our resource of talents and abilities. Let me tell you, money is the last item on the agenda. It is a small reflection of our entire heart. If, if, if I have to tweak my filter, then you also have to tweak your filter. Every Sunday, every Wednesday, you must make sure your filter is tweaked according to the Spirit. Because if I'm going to sit down tomorrow to read my devotional, and I'm angry at my wife from the night before, and it talks about Proverbs 31, woman, I'm going to say, ain't it. <laughs> nope. Nope. That's not a purpose. We're imposing our thoughts onto Scripture. You see? If your filter is based in legalism, let me tell you what, this is good. This is good stuff. Because every one of you, you're like, wow. If your filter is based in legalism, you will want to hear legalistic preaching. If your filter is based in self-righteousness, you'll want to hear self-righteous preaching. And here's who disagrees with the gospel of grace, the self-righteous. I have people tell me, you need to, start, you need to stop preaching about grace so much. What is there else to preach on? The Carolina Panthers and Steve Smith? You see what I'm saying? I mean, hey, I don't even know the Panthers. They, they lost him and I'm sad. But this is not going to help us. (laughs) The only thing that's going to help us is grace. I wasn't even a Big Panthers fan. I'm surely not now. They messed up. They lost the preacher. But I need somebody to testify. If your filter is based on the grace of God, you'll want to hear the grace of God. Can somebody help me today? Amen. It's the grace of God that liberates us to holiness. It's the grace of God that executes the reign of death so that we can reign through righteousness. It's the grace of God that breaks the chain of sin in our life. And let me tell you, if your life is being dominated by sin, the law will not help you. The only thing that will help you is grace. Legalistic preaching will not help you. The law will not help you. Does anyone know someone who's been addicted to cocaine in their life? My last church that I went to, I had two gentlemen serving in the youth ministry. Both were former cocaine addicts who got set free by the power of God, by the Holy Spirit, and both of them became the best youth workers I had ever seen. It's amazing how the most violent sinners become the most passionate worshipers. Ain't that right, Pastor Dave? The one who know the reality of their sin live in the reality of grace. But let me tell you what the law does. Trying to preach the law to a sinner is like taking your friend who's a cocaine addict and go showing him the whatever uh, thing comes from the, the law in America and saying, hey, do you know this is illegal? <laughs> Duh. What cocaine addict ever thought that this was a good thing? Oh yeah, this is perfectly fine. No. They know it's condemnation. They know it's judgment. They know it's illegal. And what keeps them in bondage is their knowledge of guilt and condemnation. That's what keeps them bound. This is why, I don't know if you know this, the government has proven that the only effective um, substance Relief programs that liberate from things like cocaine, from crack, heroin, are the ones with the intervention of the Holy Spirit. Because what they do is secular methods that teach you how to be better never help anyone get better. But the Holy Spirit, who the Bible says is the Spirit of grace, literally liberates people from the most shocking bondage, even the most violent drugs. I'm going to tell you the last story. It's time to roll. I'm having a good time. Amen? I'm going to tell you a story that happened today. Brother Stephen Rumberg, Miss Scarlett and I, we went out on a hospital visitation. And in the truck, Ms. Scarlett asked me if I knew who John Harris was. I said, no ma'am, I don't. She says, well, you should. Really, I thought it was some kind of theology quiz. She says, John Harris is the one who discovered the way to cut meat... So that we can have bacon. (laughs) John Harris, one of my new heroes. Right? You got Charles Spurgeon, John Bunyan, John Harris. Right over here. (laughs) Rightly dividing the meat. Yes. So later on, we went to lunch. And I love talking with the, the kitchen staff. The waitress came out. She says, man, the kitchen smells so good. It smells like bacon. I said, do you know who John Harris is? <laughs> said, no. He is the inventor of the method so that we can have bacon. Really? And we went on back and forth, and we talked and everything. And then as she departed, Brother Stephen said, I knew you were going to say something about John Harris. And Miss Scarlett said, she says, yep. And I said, the reason that I say something is because the, if you use it, you remember it. Y'all might think I'm a bacon nerd, but whatever. <laughs> but Ms. Scarlett said something. She says, yes, you always teach out of the overflow. Now we're talking on a worldly level for a second because 45 minutes earlier we have been talking about John Harris. And that was the overflow of where my mind was right then. And that stuck with me. You always teach from the overflow of what you're meditating on. You see, my friend... This is why he says in verse 15 that if many died by the trespass of one, how much more did God's grace overflow to many? It's not the law that overflows through Christianity, it's not self righteousness that overflows through Christianity. It is grace that overflows through Christianity. So if anyone needs to ask me, about the doctrines of grace which Apostle Paul gave his life for only question I can give back to you is I guess I'm teaching from the overflow you see when we spend our day and our night meditating on the righteousness of God and the finished work of the cross it will dominate our daily actions the way we interact with people the way we respond to people will all be out of grace let that be our meditation Let's pray. Father God, we ask in your precious son Jesus' name tonight that you take this word, you impress it upon our heart. God, that you declutter and decontaminate our filter through which we hear. Make it sensitive to your speaking and to your leading. And God, that we don't hear the words of a man, but we hear the words of scripture which has resounded through the heart of Christianity for 2,000 years testifying to the work of grace that was poured out on the cross of Calvary. God, may we preach this gospel not only in Jerusalem, but in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, calling sinners to come forth to a knowledge of the holiness of God as revealed through the cross of grace. We ask this in Jesus' most precious name and all God's people said, amen and amen. If you're